we say we open up to Genesis chapter 2 this morning, finally make our way over here. Now this might sound a little weird here at the start, uh, but these three verses uh, of chapter 2, the first three verses, really should be the last three verses uh, of chapter 1. Um, and, and you remember how the first verse of Genesis for, uh, chapter 1 went, right? If you go to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And that kind of becomes the first bookend of this, this passage, right? Now our three verses today close that creation pa- passage or accounts, and the first verse makes that so incredibly clear by the way it is, is repeating those comprehensive categories of heaven and earth, right? You've got your Bibles open. Look at it right there. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. And so you get those two bookends there. Now, you might be wondering, right, if these should be the last verses of chapter 1, then, then why aren't they? And how could you say that? Well, here's why I'm okay saying that, because Moses didn't actually make these, these chapter and verse divisions. These, he's not the one who did that. These were actually first included uh, in 1553 by a French printer named Robert Estein, or he was actually known by uh, Stephanus, which I think is his Latinized name. Now, these chapters and verses are super helpful. I'm glad they're here. You're glad they're here. Otherwise, I'd just be telling you, uh, open up your Bible somewhere near the beginning of Genesis. See if you can find, there's a verse that starts with thus. See if you can find that one. And in Genesis, it'd be all right, but it'd be a little harder when we got to Isaiah, right? So wonderful. Glad they're here. And, and yet, I'm going to say this, right? That Stephanus, well, when he went to do this, when he decided to put our verses today as the first three verses of chapter two, he bungled it badly. He took a shot, and he missed. He blew it, and, and I'm okay saying that. If he were standing here, I'd tell him that. Like, thanks for the verses, but you missed that one big time. Uh, and, and, you know, I've always wondered, there's this, there's this old legend, right? There's nothing to prove it historically, but an old legend that these divisions were made while he was riding on, on horseback riding. Uh, and, and I'm like, well, maybe, maybe that's why, because you kind of think that was, that was the texting and driving of the 1500s, and nothing, nothing ends well when you do that. Uh, anyway, it's not a big deal. It's okay. We can appreciate the chapters, the verses anyway, and just remember uh, for your own head to think through it that this is actually finishing everything that we've studied up to this point, the whole passage. This is the end of it, not the beginning of something new. So uh, let's, let's go ahead. Let's read, and we're going to begin in, in uh, technically Genesis 1.32, but in your Bible it's going to say 2.1. Okay. <clears throat> Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have made our way through your word, learning about all the amazing things you've done in creation across these six days. We, we have been amazed at your might. We have been amazed at your power, your creativity, your unfathomable work. Lord, oh, that today we would also be amazed at your stopping, your resting on day seven. And so I ask on behalf of us all that you would enlighten us so so that your word informs our minds, that it would transform our hearts, that it would direct our our steps, the the way we actually live our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Richard Dawkins, I don't know if you've heard of him, maybe you have, probably you have, right? He was uh, a very outspoken, a.k.a. antagonistic atheist, antagonistic against Christianity or deism, just the existence of God in general. Uh, he was once asked, though, could there be another role for a deity, for God, besides creation or beyond creation? And his answer to that was, I, I can't even imagine what that would mean. In other words, that's, that's all that God is, is the person who created everything. Well, we, we often also tend to think of God merely as the creator of the universe. And, and yet on some level, we know that God was God even before he created the universe. Even before the beginning, God was God. In our passage today, we see God do something that isn't creation. We, we see God rest. He rests. And, and you and I know, right, that, that God is, is he's all-powerful, right? He, he doesn't get winded from created, creating. He's not exhausted from all the works of his hands. It, it doesn't matter even how much energy God expends, right? It never goes down. It never is less. He's never winded. It's never depleted, not even a little bit, right? But here's the question, right? If, if your phone battery never lost even a single bit of charge, would you ever stop and plug it in to, to, to recharge it, would you? No. Right? It, it's true that way. If, then, if that's the way our phones work, if you and I know that, if we never had to stop and never run out of energy, right, then why does God, who is all-powerful, actually rest on the seventh day? Well, for us, the word rest, we understand it to mean restoration. It's about restoring energy, right? Renewing it. Uh, that, that's the way it goes. Some of you actually tomorrow, yesterday, played in that, that football game that we played. It didn't take long for you to realize that after every single play, you were exhausted and you're thinking, what I need right now is rest. I've never appreciated in real football, they have that countdown clock. I don't know if it's 35 seconds or whatever. Watching on TV, you're annoyed about it. In real life, you're like, that should be like 10 minutes between plays, just so you can, you can rest. Now, but here's the thing. In our, our passage here, right, that's that's not the meaning of the word rest as we see it here in verses 2 and 3, if you see it. Uh, rest here is translated from the Hebrew word Shabbat, uh, which primarily means to cease, to stop. It's not about restorative in this case, right? I, 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 that's, that's just what it means here. Now, uh, I'll tell you this. I am terrible at building things with my hands or doing anything in that regard. Uh, a while back, I told you about the uh, cat door that I made for our cat in the wall of our garage. It's on the backside, thankfully, but it looks like a miniature Kool-Aid man might have gone through the wall. That's the kind of quality lines you're going to find there. It's awful, but I have seen some of the things y'all do. Uh, y'all do amazing things, uh, creative things with your hands. I, I, many of you can build with wood. You can tile a bathroom. You can grow a garden. You can fix a car. You, you, you can make beautiful-looking food and desserts or fascinating arts and crafts projects. Uh, Amy has this weird, I don't know where Amy went, but Amy has this really weird talent where she can take all your decorations and stick them on the wall in one go, uh, and it looks perfect in a way that it just makes no sense. Y'all have those amazing abilities, and, and you know that when you finish one of these projects, right, you just kind of like step back, and, and you take it all in, and you observe what it is, and, and you think, wow, that, that turned out great, that, you know, the way you do it, the, the hole in my garage, not so much, but that turned out great, and you just step back and take it in. That's what God is doing here, right? He is done with the work of creation, and he's stepping back, and he's looking at it. He said it's all very good, and he's observing it that way. 
Now, now to say that God has ceased here, he's ceased from the work of creation, it, it doesn't mean that he's, he's stopped from all the works he does, that he's doing nothing as if, as if the world is missing God at this moment, right? In, in John 5, 17, when Jesus was asked on the Sabbath why he was healing a crippled man, he told them, my father is working until now and I am working. Or, or as Calvin says it in the Institutes, Inasmuch as God sustains the world by his power, governs it by his providence, cherishes and even propagates all creatures, he is constantly at work. And so on day seven, God ceases from the work of creation, and he's taking it all in. Now as a, a quick aside here, you, you probably heard it said that the number seven in, in, in the Bible, this is the, the number of completion and perfection, right? These, these, these seven days of creation here, day seven as we're coming to it, that's where that idea comes from if you ever wondered. It's complete, it's done. Uh, the, these seven days that we're seeing in creation, these are also the, the basis for why we have a seven day week. I don't know if you ever thought of that, right? Everything else is explainable. We, we have 24 hours in a day because that's how long it takes the earth to, to rotate once around. We, we have uh, 12 months because of roughly the phases of the moon. We, we have a year because that's how long it takes the earth to go around the sun. There's all these astrological reasons for it, but there is no astrological reason for why there is a seven-day week. It is simply set up this way, in which case you think, well, does it matter? <clears throat> Couldn't it be anyway? Well, no. Uh, a while back, I, I learned, I was fascinated actually to learn about during the French Revolution early on, right? Now, the leaders wanted to secularize the society, and one of the things they saw as a problem is this seven-day week. You and I don't think of it that way, but you have six days of, of work and one day of rest, and that was a pattern for, for Christians. And so uh, as part of that, on October 24, 1793, they, they implemented a 10-day week. They're like, look, a new improved <clears throat> days of the week, 2.0, 10-day week, nine days of work and only one day off of rest. And, and they expected that this was going to improve productivity significantly because there's more days of work and less days of rest. Uh, what they found was they were incredibly wrong. Productivity crashed. People were exhausted. And initially they thought, well, people will get used to it. It's just hard. So 12 years later, right, 12 years this experiment went on. And when Napoleon came to power, uh, you know, he returned it to the seven-day model based on the days of creation. They returned to it. So even this weird effort to get away from the way that, that God has set up our, our, our weeks failed miserably on the biggest experiment of, that's ever been done on it. Uh, now, let's, let's look again back at our passage. Verse 3, what are the two things God does to day 7? You got it there before you. Day 3, two things. You see it? God blessed day 7, and God made day 7 holy. Well, let's start with that idea of God making the day holy. Because uh, isn't it quite remarkable, actually, that God has just created this physical universe, right? Things we can touch even out in space. He's just created people who have a, a physical aspect to us. And, and yet the first thing that God declares holy is not something physically at all. It's not a person. It's not a place. He declares a time, a day as holy. The seventh day is the, the first thing in scripture is actually to be called holy. It's also the only thing that is ever called holy in the book of Genesis. If, if something is holy, what that means is, is you and I always think of it as pure, and, and that's one aspect of it, but usually when we're seeing the word holy, it means that it's been set apart by God for God, uniquely that's so. God is actually claiming this day as his own in a unique way for his own purposes. 
And as the scriptures unfold, right, God will claim more things as holy. He will. The, the temple will be declared holy. The, the priests who are serving in that temple get declared holy. He's going to tell Moses at the burning bush, right, you're standing on holy ground. There's a place there. <clears throat> Jesus is called the Holy One. Christians are uh, declared in 1 Peter 1.15 to be holy and, and much more. But, but the very first thing in all of creation set apart as holy is the seventh day. <clears throat> now God declared it holy, but he also blessed it, the seventh day. And we tend to use that in weird ways today, right? Uh, you know, bless her heart, all those weird things. But, but what does it mean when we see blessing like we see right here? Think back to the, the two instances that we've seen the word blessed so far. If you've got your Bible, you can look real quick. Uh, Genesis 1.22, right? God has just created all the animals. And, and God looks at them, and it says he blessed them. And what's he say? He says, be fruitful, right? The second occurrence is in, in chapter 1, verse 28. We saw it last week. Again, God has just finished, created man and woman, and, 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 and he says, uh, he, said he, he blesses them, right? And then he says the same thing, be fruitful. God's blessing in, in Genesis bestows the possibility of fruitfulness. <clears throat> now, you and I tend to think of resting, right? Uh, if you stop and you cease and you rest, that nothing's occurring, you're just sitting there like a turned-off computer or something. But when God blessed the seventh day, he intends for this day of rest to be fruitful for, for his purposes and, and for all of creation. Yes, all of creation, right? Uh, even the land needs rest. David Wilkinson says this. He says, A field cannot be farmed constantly but needs a period of lying fallow to ensure continuing fruitfulness. Written into God's creation is the necessity of rest, even for the land. For, for we who are image bearers, a, a day set apart uh, for rest is actually a day that is incredibly fruitful, spiritually fruitful, right? It is, it, it, is, it is fruitful for us spiritually, it is fruitful for us emotionally, it is fruitful for our, our, us physically. After all, right, you, you are a dichotomy, that just means this, you, you are body and soul, not one or the other, you are, you are both of those. And, and now I'm amazed, honestly, <clears throat> how much We've learned in recent history about the fruitfulness of rest in our lives. When you sleep at night and you think, I am just wasting this time laying here, right? Your brain is actually doing amazing work during that time of rest. It is cleaning up. It is reorganizing things. It is incredibly fruitful for you. Um, athletes know this, right? That rest days are essential to repair muscles, to grow muscles, all, all those different aspects. In fact, well, I've got this Apple Watch, and I love most things about it, but one of the things I absolutely cannot stand about it is that it is a ruthless taskmaster in my life. Every, every day it's, you know, close your rings, exercise more, keep going, you can do it. And it's and it, never, there's no way to actually work in a day of rest on this thing, and it drives me nuts. I've told them like 15 times, they don't care. Anyway, <clears throat> there's never a rest day, right? But, but our God, he's not like that. God has blessed the day and made it holy for his purposes for, for you, now, I've jumped ahead of myself a little bit here in, in bringing in the application of this, but let's, let, let's step back simply because our, our passage here doesn't explicitly acknowledge that this is a, a perpetual, ongoing, every seventh day, day of rest for God's people. And, and yet, it is here, right? Even here in Genesis 2, right? As, as we're looking to God the King, right? There is this unspoken expectation that, that we are to imitate God by resting on the seventh day. But more explicitly, right, when, when God gives to Moses the Ten Commandments, the, the fourth one we, we read earlier in the service, right, it establishes the seventh day as a day of rest called the Sabbath, again from that Hebrew word I mentioned earlier, Shabbat, right? Now listen, as, 
<clears throat> as I read to you this fourth you know, commandment given by God in, in Exodus 28, listen to what it says. God says, remember the Sabbath day, that's the seventh day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And, and then a verse later, God gives the basis for this, and, and listen to what he says. He says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. That's the whole basis for the Sabbath. That it's something we practice. And keep in mind, that's happening before the fall is what he's pointing to as the establishing aspect here. Uh, like everything, though, everything we find in the Ten Commandments, these are things that since sin has entered the world, we are, we are tempted to do. We are tempted towards idolatry. We are tempted to worship things and people that are not God, right? And so it commands us, don't do that. We're tempted to dishonor our parents, to steal, to lie, to, to covet, right? Lust. Even to commit adultery and, and murder. Well, we're also tempted not to rest. That's why we see it here, right? We're, we're tempted to not devote time each week to remember and worship God. And, and so God commands his people to honor the Sabbath day. The, the seventh day is, is technically, though, Saturday, not Sunday. And that confuses people at time, right? Well, why aren't we meeting together on Saturday? Well, we, we do so because uh, as Christians, we, we, we worship God. We, we rest on Sunday, the, the, the first day of the week. And this is because in the New Testament, the apostles gathered Christians together on the first day of the week to worship God. And I can give you a long explanation, but the short and simple version is this. That's the day that our Lord Jesus resurrected from the grave. That, that's the day where, where we understand what it means to be forgiven. That, that's the, the, you know, such a distinguishing change that, that has happened here. As G.K. Beale explains, right, on, on Christ's resurrection was the beginning of, of the new creation. There's a big switch that's happening here. And I, I find this change of day fascinating for other reasons, right, be, because... Right, here in Genesis, man and, and woman are created on day six. And, and you know what that means, right? The very first full day of their existence. It's not a day of work. It's not welcome to the world, work, you'll get to rest later. It's, it's welcome to this world, right? And, and you get to rest. It's, it's a day of glorious rest. God's essentially saying, look, it's, it's finished. I finished it all. You're the last thing I built. Take it all in. Take it all in today. Look at this world I have made for you to dwell in. Rest, enjoy it, meet with me, enjoy me. The, the pattern from that point forward uh, under the Old Testament Sabbath understanding was to work for six days and, and to rest for one. But now after Christ completes his work upon the cross, using words eerily similar to what we see in Genesis, right? Remember just before Jesus gives up his, his life, he says, it is finished, right? I'm done, I've completed it. And, and he finishes our salvation. And ever since, the pattern actually switches for Christians, who, you know, for us who are in faith. Each week we rest on the first day of the week. And then, you know, we're, we're energized, we're renewed, we're rested if we really take it, if we really use it well. And then we go forward with all that energy for the six days of work. Yes, you know, even, you know, some of you are like six days of work. I only work five days. Some of you students are like, I only do four because the way I made my schedule work out. Uh, right? laundry, mowing, that kind of stuff, that, that's work too. It's, you know, things you don't get paid for can also be work, our work. Now, since the beginning, the, the Sabbath has, has proclaimed to all of humanity this simple fact. There is more to your life than work. There's more to your life than work. And some of you really need to hear that. Some of you need to believe that. Some of you need to act on that. 
that there is more to your life than work and productivity. This day set apart has provided people in every era time to reflect on life and more to the point to reflect on God, to reflect on his work, to reflect on his goodness. In fact, that's what Jesus is getting at when he says in Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Yes, he's defending himself against the Pharisees there, but, but the, the bottom line is this is a good gift of God for you. Not some heavy burden to be followed, but a gift for you. But what about you? Are, you? are you even capable of resting in the way you are living right now? Or do you feel the, the weight of that internal taskmaster always telling you, perform better, put in more time here, produce more, prove yourself. You can't stop, not now, not yet. We are a stressed out and restless people. In fact, I, I know for far too many of us, anxiety is the, the air we breathe. It, it doesn't have to be that way. God has set apart this day, the Lord's day, to be a rest for your tired soul, to be fruitful for your, your Christian walk, your, your relationship with the Lord. The Sabbath is, really is essential for your spiritual health and growth. And, and in fact, it is so strange to me how resistant <clears throat> so many Christians are against partaking in the Sabbath. We push back against it like crazy. We're, we're, we're like you know, little children who are so tired and they're melting down and through streams of tears are still arguing with their mom. I don't want to go to bed. I'm not tired. I'm not tired. And others of us, right, we, we say, well, it's not really possible for me to, to stop. Right? I've got to do my homework. I've got to study on the Lord's Day. I've got to test on Monday. Or, you know, I, I need to get a head start before going to the office on Monday. Or I'm going to be behind before it even starts. I get it. It's not easy. That's part of why it takes, you know, faith to trust the Lord to actually take that time off. Sometimes it takes preparation so you actually can take that time off. And I know, right, some jobs have to continue on Sunday. The ER is not going to close, and you're all very thankful for that. Someone's got to keep the electricity running, and we're all going to be complaining like crazy. You know, but that's not how most of our, our lives work. I, I'm willing to bet, in fact, that, that, that most of you know this. You know that you need reoccurring rest week by week, and you feel it. You absolutely feel it. And I encourage you, you know, obey the Lord. He's sovereign. He is going to keep the world running while you rest. So take a nap. Take the time to, to make a meal with others and enjoy it. Slow down. Maybe actually sit down and play with your child. Be, be fully present in the worship service. Instead of thinking about where you need to run off to next, I mean, linger, converse with fellow image bearers afterwards. In Isaiah 58, God is, is calling his people back to the practice of Sabbath that they had failed to do or just rejected outright, right? And he instructs, uh, instructs them, and I quote, Call the Sabbath a delight. Call the Sabbath a delight. I mean, that's really what I want for you and I, is to call the Sabbath a delight. Now, there is another aspect of God's resting here in Genesis 2 that's not about a day. Here in Genesis 2, there is a, a rest for your soul. Maybe you've noticed that every day up to this point ends with those words, there was evening and there was morning, right? And then when it starts over again, those words are not here on day 7. That's, that's because, in a sense, the, the rest of God has 
no end. And as redemptive history unfolds, we see that the true Sabbath rest for our souls is experience and salvation that is accomplished for us by Jesus Christ. And in other words, if you have placed your, your, your eternal trust in Jesus as your Savior, right? Or let me say it this way. If you have not placed your trust, your eternal trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then observing the Sabbath will not provide rest for your weary soul, no matter how diligently you practice it. Hebrews 4 makes this argument beautifully, and it comes to this conclusion in Hebrews 4, 9. Just listen, I'll read it to you. And so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. And the previous argument in, in Hebrews 4 is that Israel had hardened their hearts against God. They had rejected God. They've, they had not trusted in God. They, they keep trying to do works thinking, oh, we're going to earn God's righteousness. Many of us are, are still like that. We, we intellectually understand grace. We understand that it comes to us freely. And, and then for some reason we keep trying to earn God's grace. We come to God like so many other things in our lives, always always looking like tasks that need to be checked off, or, you know, or, or we treat it that way as if they are tasks to be checked off. And we experience that, right? You, you clean your house, and tomorrow, probably you know, an hour later, actually, it needs to be cleaned again. And, and those sort of things in our lives are going to be perpetual. They're always going to be more. But with God, that's, it's not so. With the grace of God, it's not so. The, the work of salvation is done. You didn't do it. I hope you know that. Jesus did. And so throw all your weight on him. Trust Him fully, more fully. On the seventh day, God finished His work of creation and then He stopped. And I know I, I mentioned it already, but listen to this from John 19.30, the, the fuller passage. When, when Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head and He gave up His spirit. Jesus finished His work. And in Hebrews 10.12 tells us what else Jesus did shortly after. Listen to this. When, when Jesus has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus finished the work of redemption. What did he do? What did he do? He rested. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. Christian, because you are united to Jesus, you can rest too. And I know, I, I know you, you long to be more Christ-like. <clears throat> and that's good. We want sanctification. That's, that's good for us. <clears throat> and something God has for us. Seek that, right? Philippians 1.6 assures us that God is going to finish that too. But, but as far as, as grace, as far as forgiven, forgiveness, shrug off that, that weight of thinking that you can somehow earn your forgiveness. Learn to truly rest in Jesus' finished work for your salvation. In the words of James Montgomery Boyce, he says this, As long as we live, we will be troubled by sin. But we can begin to enter into God's rest now and, and can look forward to that day when we will be made <clears throat> like Jesus and stand before God in holiness. In the meantime, Christian, know that you are beloved by God. Trusting in, in Jesus is what gives rest to our souls. And, and so the more you trust in Jesus, the more you'll actually experience what it is like to rest in, in Jesus. And that's why one of my most pressing prayers for us as a covenant community is, is for us to learn, for you to learn, me too, to learn to lean into Sabbath, to do so more fully. Because the truth is you and I live too much like the world around us and that bleeds over into the way that we actually uh, approach the Lord's day. We're, we're, we're different though. We're, we're not like the world. We're not the world. 
For you, know, for you and I, the, the rhythm of time pauses every seventh day as we obey the call to turn from worldly affairs so that we can actually remind ourselves of, of the higher calling and privilege of, we have as God's covenant people. As we embrace this time of refreshment, this gift of the Lord to us, this blessing. Right? Just like in Moses' day, I know it's not easy. I won't pretend it is. But if you won't figure out what it means to Sabbath well, if you won't stop slowly by slowly, you're, you're more than likely going to forget the purpose of all the activity that you're actually doing. Slowly by slowly, we begin to forget God. We, we see Israel did that over and over and over again. Now to Sabbath well, I won't go into great detail today, but the Sabbath well, you, you've got to include at least two things. A time of refreshment, rest, and a time of remembrance of God. And they absolutely go together. The most significant part of the refreshment, as I just said, is, is resting, actually resting. Christian, listen to this. God gives you permission to stop. That's more significant than you probably realize. He gives you permission to stop, to be unproductive, to rest. Your soul needs rest. Your brain needs rest. Your body needs rest. If, <clears throat> if you need to hear this, I want you to hear this. It is okay for you to stop on the Lord's day. It's okay. As Richard Phillips says, a, a good rule is to set aside whatever is your weekday vocation, whether construction, study, or meeting with clients, whatever it might be. You need to remember that your life is, is more than work. That there is enjoying creation, there is delighting in, in our Creator, in our Lord. Now the other part I mentioned is uh, remembrance, refreshment and remembrance. If you, if you want to do a great word study in your Bible. There's 165 instances of this word just remember. And it's fascinating to see all the things that, that were told in Scripture to remember. Um, now, the most significant part of remembrance, though, is, is tied to this corporate worship here. We gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? We come out of uh, places in the world where people don't share our worldview. They don't share our love for Jesus. They don't share what our values and what we're aiming to do in life. And we get to gather with others that do, right? And who have been redeemed by, by, by the Lord. As well as those who are here because they're seeking the Lord to understand. Now, we, we remember that we're part of a covenant community when we gather together. You know, further than that, our whole service is actually designed to renew our covenant relationship with God as we sing and we pray and we confess and we respond to the Lord. It recalibrates us as it brings it back into this, right? We, we gratefully remember that God has created us and we gratefully remember that God has redeemed us. We, we remember that God has filled us with the Holy Spirit and that he has made us part of his family. And, and as your pastor, I desire for you to make this a priority in your life to set apart the first day of the week to gather in worship not only you know not only to remember Christ's resurrection but also because you gain spiritual nourishment through the means of grace we participate here in here namely the preaching of the word and corporate prayer and participating in the sacrament to, to quote Phillips again he says the, the vital importance of weekly attendance and the gathered worship of the church cannot be overstated and it's not just about what you get out of it. I know we tend to come to service and think of that. What did I get out of this? But, but, right? but, but also for the glory that you give to God by setting this time apart as holy to the Lord. 
what you give to God in, in worshiping. And I don't mean that in an earned kind of way. I mean, and it's a joy for our own hearts to, to give to the Lord the worship that he is worthy. And now as you commit to practice the Sabbath and embrace this aspect, it is a practice. It's like piano or painting or baking. It, it is something you will have to learn slowly. It is something you will probably have to wrestle with the specifics of it, but it is so worth it. And so I ask you, right? Preaching and preaching until it expects something. Will you commit to the rest that God calls you to each Lord's Day? And listen, if you, if you want to know more about the Sabbath, uh, I actually preached on it two years ago during our core values. We, we number our sermons. People often ask, why does that number at the beginning of things? And it's, every service just has a number. It really was initially just to organize bulletins, but it's really been helpful over the years. Anyway, this is, this is service 486, if you're wondering. Uh, if you're trying to find the sermon I'm talking about, it's labeled as 380. It makes it easier to find. Uh, it's called Core Values Sabbath Rest. Uh, now, if you just want to talk about specifics, right, if you want to dig into this deeper, what does it look like to actually honor the Lord's Day, or the Sabbath day, the Lord's Day, uh, look like I'd love to have that conversation with you. So if you want to do that, let me know. Now, the, the last thing, is I, I just want, I want you to sit here and I want you to listen to the, the fuller statement of, of a Matthew eleven twenty eight. This is our Lord Jesus. This is your Lord. There's so many taskmasters in the world, but listen to what the Lord Jesus has to say for you, to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, the, the seventh day you rested. Teach us, your, your children, your people, to stop constantly performing, proving, producing, providing. To teach us instead, Lord, spiritually speaking, to, to find true rest in Jesus, in the finished work of the cross, in the resurrection, in the surety of our salvation, in grace fully realized grace. Give us a vision for a rhythm of rest and work so that we will live fruitful lives and, and so our relationship with you will flourish. Thank you for the good gift of Sabbath rest, of a time set apart for remembering, for refreshment, for worshiping you, Lord. Time with others. For enjoying the days that you've given us. And Father, teach us to Sabbath well, starting now if we haven't started already. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.